0: This next woman is a woman that I am so excited to introduce to you via the Anything Goes podcast. She, her name, I should say, is Lale Stone. I had the privilege of speaking to her last week all around. I, I got her on to speak about the new school, Woodland Primary School, just out of Geelong that she has started uh, with another friend and investor. And it's all about, it's innovative and it's it's new, obviously based on emotional well-being and connection, which for me, for our next generation is so, so important. But when I got her on and we started to chat, I, I realised how much more depth and experience she had to her. She obviously is an educator, a TEDx speaker, an author, a mother, And what else we dove into is really her parenting counselling and how, you know, to heal the child, you need to heal yourself. And so we go lots of places on this podcast. We talk about parenting. We talk about healing ourselves as, as sovereign adults. We talk about her new school. We talk about kids and their growth and their safety. Uh, And even though I'm not a mother, I took more than I can say out of this episode, and I know if you are a mother or not a mother, either way, you will too. So strap in, enjoy. I will absolutely be getting her back on the podcast to talk about even more. I want to talk to her about birth uh, and go deeper into everything we discussed. But for now, enjoy.
1: you're listening to the anything goes podcast my name is morgan richards
0: and my name is anna richards we are the husband and wife duo in business together who plan on bringing you conversations and inspirations each and every episode
1: our mission is not just to motivate and inspire you it's to push boundaries and challenge the status quo
0: we aim to bring you humor depth differing of opinions and more but one thing we can promise you is this is the podcast where anything goes We are back. Welcome back, everybody. I'm so excited. Layl, this is actually, you're our special first episode back for 2021. So like, yes, congratulations on being number one with me. Ooh, I love being number one. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, thanks thanks I am for having too. Me. <laughs> I think you're so perfect though. And Oh, there's, we're going to go through it all. I know everyone's just heard your phenomenal introduction. I was actually just talking to Morgs off the mic and before we jumped on Zoom saying I could not be more genuinely excited to talk to you. Mm. I find you very multifaceted, but completely zoned in on your zone of genius and mission and reading through your bio. I mean, obviously we've been in connection for a couple of weeks now, but everything you've done, I feel like has been very connected to connection, mm. emotional intelligence and serving the world and children in a big, beautiful, needed way. And let's begin there because I feel like in 2021, the biggest conversations I am having in my inbox at the moment, other than fun and Mm lols and rah, is just around people's uncertainty about the future and how you know our, our poor next generation, and, and we're raising this world for children, like it, it is about our next generation. I'm having conversations Lyle, with girlfriends right now. I'm almost 33, don't have kids yet, cho- still leaning into choosing to or not. And the conversations that we're having are is it f- responsible to have children at the moment in this world? Um, but this is why I wanted to ha- bring you on and have this beautiful conversation because I know that. Um, And we're going to talk about it a lot. We'll probably go everywhere else as well. But you are creating this school around, I'm going to say emotion. What is it? I say emotional intelligence, but emotional guidance, connection with families um, and all the good things. So, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you have landed at this point in your life, wanting to create a school which is so needed. <laughs>
2: That's, that was So good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That just uh, I just sat there with a big grin on my face, going, "Oh yes, this is so what I am. Um, I'm so juicy about." And so, uh, um, really, the short version is that. Um, you know, I started working in birth maybe 17, Mm. 18 years ago, purely because, um, you know, I have a 20-year-old son, had a really traumatic birth experience with him, got pregnant second time, had a beautiful, empowering water birth with my second child. And that moment just changed my life. I was just in this like, whoa, I want to know more about this. I want others to have the experience of not having to have trauma because I know how hard it is having a traumatic experience and then becoming a mum. And all of a sudden, you know, I just couldn't get enough of it. And I'm a really heart driven, passion person. So if something lights me up, mm-hmm. I am going to follow it. I, I could never do a job or do work that doesn't excite me or doesn't have meaning for me. So, you know, at the time I was running my own company um, and I just closed the company because I was like, nah, this is what oh, I want wow. to do. So I'd had it for seven years. I had all these people working for me. I didn't even sell the company much to my husband's. Oh, disgust. wow! But I was just like, nah, I just knew I had to follow this next step. And I, I don't know, I'm i a really big believer in following your gut. It's like my yeah. number one guide in my life and I was like no I just want to jump into birth so then all of a sudden I just immersed myself in the world of birth I became a childbirth educator I worked as a doula for a really long time I did a lot of counseling I started working with trauma and I just began to see the impact on what it was with families to help couples be empowered around their choices with birth and raising their children you know with gentleness and consciousness all that kind of beautiful stuff. And then, uh, you know, I had two kids by then. Then I had a third child, had a massive, powerful birth experience that um, was a bit of a life or death situation with her. And I ended up, um, you know, having to really work through a whole lot of trauma and PTSD for both of us. And her birth was an incredible gift for me because it really helped me delve into the world of how do we heal from trauma? How do babies heal from trauma? How do we as mothers and parents work through stuff that's been really tricky So that took me into the world of aware parenting, and uh, aware parenting is a a form of parenting that was developed by a Swiss-American psychologist called Dr. Aletha Salter probably about nearly 25, 30 years ago, and and I think this woman was well ahead of her time when it comes to emotional awareness and consciousness, and it really is based on the fact that we all have feelings and emotions, and most of us do not know how to express them Mm -hmm. in a healthy way, including little bubbers and toddlers and school kids and teenagers and the whole bit. So Word Parenting just kind of opened up a whole new world for me. It took more of my study into trauma and understanding the impact, you know, at, on children and then how as parents we can help our kids who've had challenging experiences. Uh, all the time while raising my own children and my kids just being the best teachers and I found mm-hmm. that whatever work I was into, my kids were going to be like, all right, let me give you a real-life demonstration of how this is <laughs> going to look. And so, you know, I, I did all that for years. Then as my son started to go through puberty, you know, again, and I went through this thing as a parent of, oh, my God, he's going to become a sexualized being and have I taught him enough and is he going to be respectful? And all of a sudden I then delved into the world of adolescent sexuality and I ended up at my son's high school. They asked me to teach a class on birth for kids and I was like, yeah, yeah, I went and talked to them about birth kids loved it I gave them the best birth education ever
0: (laughs) oh brilliant (laughs) Brilliant. Uh, where were
2: you in when I was in high school damn it (laughs) and then um you know I remember at the end of it turning to the teacher and said are you talking to the kids about pornography and he's like oh no and I was like oh my god you must you know that's our biggest sex educator at the moment and And I was like, look, can I come back and talk to the kids? And he's like, yeah, if you want. So all of a sudden I just started creating programs, what I call pleasure-based sex education programs, to take into high schools that were all about the realities of intimacy and our hormones and bodies and safety and trust and consent and just all the juicy stuff that I know teenagers wish they knew that would have helped navigate those tricky years. So I ended up doing that for a few years, which was awesome getting to work with amazing teenagers I love that my teenagers, you know, when they would say, what does your mum do? They'd go, oh, my God. Ah. Goes into schools with, like, knitted penises and vulvas and stuff. Oh, the they will, And I'm like, one day you'll think it's really awesome. But yeah. they kind of do now. They think it's pretty cool. Uh, so I did all that. And then amongst all of that, um, this opportunity to build a school came up. I'd been working with a client for a few years and um, one of her little ones was about to start school And he started prep and, you know, she was just like, I just, I don't like the punitive approach. I just, it it just breaks my heart that, you know, his name is put on the board if he talks too much or that he's getting in trouble for things and where he's actually seeing the whole child and all this work that we'd done around raising emotionally intelligent children. She was just like, our system just doesn't cut it. And I was like, yep, it it doesn't. I'd, I'd watch that with my own children going through the schooling system. And so she said to me, well, what if we built our own school? And I just looked at her and went, I don't know anything about building a school. And um, she's a woman who's, you know, is um, a wealthy woman who does a lot of philanthropic stuff. And she said, look, I will fund it. I will, you know, I will make it all happen. But you build the school that you believe we need. And, you know, I, look, it took me a few months to even get my head around it and say yes because, you know, it's not often that someone hands you a dream project and says, don't worry about the money part. Let, let's build something that can be an amazing legacy in what you believe in. And and like any good things that we do that are challenging, you know, I, in the beginning I just was like, I don't know what, I, I have no idea. I'm not even a, a, a trained teacher. Like I don't know what to do. I knew what I wanted it to look like but I had no idea how this was going to happen. So I kind of, you know, got myself sorted and went, all right, well, there's people who've done it before and there are people who know. And I'm a big believer in doing what I call your apprenticeship. Whenever you start something, go learn from the people who know. So I was like, all right. And I kind of put a bit of a call out there to the universe and went, bring me the right people who are going to support me, who are going to show us how to do it. And then through just magnificent, you know, synchronicities. I just met the right people. People started hearing about what we were doing. The right people came into our orbit, met this amazing woman who'd built a school a few years before. And she was just this master of curriculum and education. And, And I told her about our vision and she's like, oh, we'll help you. You know, we'll, we'll consult for you and show you how to do it. And and so, basically, that was like nearly three years ago, and we open in five, six days now.
0: <laughs> oh wow! I did not so, know. I know you've said it. It was close, and I know we've chatted an email, and yeah. Um, let let's put a pin in it because I know yeah. that that in the sense that. Where is it? Because I'm going to get okay. so many people go, "Where is it? I want to send my kids. Where is it?" Um so it's in a little town called Ceres, which is just out of Geelong here in oh, Victoria. Okay.
2: So it's um it's literally like about 10-15 minutes out of Geelong. Uh it's on a beautiful 10-acre farm, so we have animals there. Um and really the philosophy of it's called Woodline Primary, so you can find it all on socials and website and stuff Woodline like Woodlineprimary.com.au. That. That's it. Yep. And really the foundation as a school is that children need to feel safe in order to learn. So when a child feels like they can't be who they need to be, when they Mm -hmm. can't express their emotions and feelings, when they have to fit into a box to be good, then we are not seeing a child at their full magnificent capacity. And so I think just through my own experiences of schooling and also watching my children go through Mm -hmm. school, you know, most kids have to kind of armour up to go to school. Not only because there are rules and we need rules whenever we have, you know, groups of people and stuff together, but so much of our schooling system is still based on this behaviourism paradigm. which is that you must be good and if you're good, you're rewarded and if you're bad, we take things away or Mm. we still subtly shame kids for being bad and my work is all around that there is no such thing as a bad child. There is a child that is just out of balance. So, you know, I always talk about that we are either in balance or out of balance and this doesn't just apply to kids, this applies to all of us as humans. When we're in balance, we're feeling good, we're feeling connected, Mm. we feel open, we feel inspired, we want to learn, we take risks. When we're out of balance is usually when we've got some armor up. It's usually when we're protecting ourselves and it's usually because there's needs that aren't being met. So whether that's needs from the past around hurts and traumas, whether it's that we don't understand, whether there's fear present, whether we're anxious about something new, whether we need information, there's many reasons why we're all out of balance. And when we look at beautiful little children, you know, most of their world is is about being told what to do all the time. And that doesn't necessarily serve everybody. And and so in our schooling system, you know, I think it's time for a huge overhaul of how it's done because we often still try and put kids all into one box that says this is how it should look, this is what you have to do, regurgitate the information back to us with no element of, well, what is this learning about for me and what is my impact on the world with this learning? And I actually don't learn by sitting down and writing with a pencil. I have to move my body or I have to talk about what I'm learning or I have to make something with my hands to understand what I'm doing. And so our school looks at all of those elements and says, who is this child? Mm -hmm. How do they learn? How do we support them to be the most exquisite version of themselves? And how do we keep creating emotional safety so they can be seen and heard So that they can be in
0: balance and and feel amazing. Like that's what we want. A hundred percent. And conscious, aware, loved, seen, held, heard children are raised to be consciously aware, held, heard, seen adults, which w- will heal the world. I, I truly believe that I, I, okay. Second question. Cause I just, am thinking like as a mother, I'm, I, I'm a mother. I'm a dog mother. <laughs> Do you know what's so funny when you said, Oh, you said something in front. I'm like, I understand in my head. I'm like, I get it. That's like, <laughs> no I know. I, can't, I know I trigger so many moms when I, like I'm kidding everyone to a certain extent, <laughs> um, but uh, but I am in Gold Coast. Okay. So le- let me put it like this. I'm a woman that's choosing, that's still leaning into to have kids and not have kids. And I think, I've said for years, fuck the current schooling education system, okay? It's broken and I am blessed and grateful and filled up that I get to do a lot of youth mentoring. And once a year I fly to a camp um, for the Magic Moments Foundation and it's. I always say they're basically, it's five days, I always get asked to go speak uh, and it's, and I hear, but I see, I I remember the first year they said, come fly in, all the speakers just fly in their keynote and they leave. I said, that's not how I make an impact. It's not on the stage. I want to sit with them in the lunchroom. I want to sit at the back of the room and listen to them. I want to watch these kids. So, and I've done that every year since. And the one thing, every single one of these youths tell me the one commonality is that I don't like school. School Mm -hmm. is broken. Fuck Mm -hmm. school. Because these kids, this next generation is here to to change the world. They are. They've been birthed with more DNA. Like I am. They are here to help and with no pressure in a beautiful, organic, empowered way. But the schooling system is broken. Now, I hear this from these kids and I always say, don't worry. Someone's going to change it. It's not going to be me. It's not my, that's not my zone of genius. But I always say someone's going to change it one day. Now, I have said this for several years and then you popped up in my Instagram inbox and said, hi, Anna, I'm Lael, like da-da-da-da. And I'm like, yeah, you're coming on the podcast because you're it. Mm-hmm. You're the first woman. Now, I'm out there. I'm asking, I'm looking, I'm seeking. I've got best friends who talk about starting school talk about starting school systems but you've done it Mm. so my thing for you I'm like let's shout you from every platform let's put you in every but but are you going is the idea this is the question going to be to expand your school because I live in the Gold Coast (laughs) and I'm not moving back to Geelong where I was born (laughs) to put my potential future child in your school so are you going to is the dream to grow this across the nation
2: Mm, that's such a good question. And you know what? Since since Woodline has been around just our website or just talks I've done around it I am contacted from people all over the world saying can you bring it here yes. so I've had so good. many requests right the so demand is there good the demand is there for sure um, there is a reason why not many people build schools it's because it's difficult it is <sighs> really challenging and I think this is it took us a few years to do it and many hurdles and you needed you need a lot of support to do it and you need as one of my mentors said you need just the right amount of crazy to pull it off and I was like yeah yeah I've got the right amount of crazy and and many times actually even you know I wrote nearly you know I I can well I started writing all the policies and then we had to tweak them and all that kind of stuff and even when I'm writing the policies I would sit there and think oh my God, I can't do this. This is so hard. And why am I even doing this? And then I would think, well, who am I not to do this? Because it just takes one person to say, I want to see it look different. You know, I want it to be different for children. And when people often say to me, what do you do? My one-liner is always, I work for the kids. Yeah, I love that. Right? I want to be the voice for children to say, "Hey, I wish it looked different," and mm. you know, I do that in my parenting work all the time. And and I, I absolutely agree 100 with what you say around the teenagers you work with. I have the same kind of thing when I work with teenagers, and I say to them, "What do you wish you could, if you could, you know, get anything from your parents? What do you what do you wish?" And they all say the same thing: "I wish they would just listen." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Tell me more about that." And I said, "I wish they would listen without judging, without fixing, and without getting into the drama and being able to stay really solid." And just hear me, and you know that carries over into schooling, into you know adulthood. All those elements are super important. So I come coming back to your question: Is is this going to grow? <laughs> you know, I'm not going um, to get away with this. Yeah, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. Again. Look, um, for us building a school's big, and so you know we're kind of like right. Let's let's see how it rolls. We do have. We are in discussions around building a secondary school because once these kids finish here, they're going to need somewhere else to go to. So Absolutely. we've got a few years to to we open the secondary school because we're just opening this year up into grade three. So we've got a few years to build the secondary school. Um, I, look, I, I can't say, yes, we're going to replicate woodlines everywhere. everywhere. As my, my partner, Mel, who have, I've also done this school with, that's not necessarily something she's like, yes, let's build a whole lot of them <laughs> because it is a huge commitment. But um, I am really open to supporting people to build similar versions of Woodline because I think the world needs it desperately. I think there's other schooling out there that's similar on some level, not exactly the same. I think there's intentions of it. And I think, you know, on some level the system is trying. You know, there's a lot more conversations in schools yeah. these days around well-being and around um, resilience and all those kind of things. But I think for me it needs to come from the ground up, you know, and it's got to be a huge overhaul.
0: 100% and it's I think it's yes they are I, I always say I always assume positive intent that's how I live my life so I, I do believe schools are trying to do better it's but the but it's just not there yet and mm-hmm. I think what was really beautiful and telling for me was that I've got a, a niece my my world Delilah who's nine and a half and she's struggled in a sense with school right and my sister tells me think you know oh Delilah got in trouble and I'm like it's because she's a a genie I I know it's bias but (laughs) since birth there's been something about that little girl and I said it's because she's a genius she's not fitting in that stupid box of Mm -hmm. the current schooling curriculum and then COVID happened Mm -hmm. and she had to be homeschooled Mm -hmm. and she freaking thrived Mm -hmm. she was this little she she was this little human that came alive and read better wrote better spoke better like it was because she just wasn't confined even mm. just by the basicness of of a four wall classroom with desks that face the front front which was all about you know this of course but mm-hmm. to create factory workers for the industrial mm-hmm. revolution to be obedient and you know follow rules but you know and she thrived and i think this so where i'm going with this is that i i know That a lot of parents, I believe, I believe, I know, had Mm. the same experience. Maybe had a child that had been labeled as troubled or, you know, was it can't concentrate or was just struggling in their schoolwork and then came home in a safer, right? This is your whole point. Just take it back to that. I'm learning as I'm I'm interviewing you, a safe environment for some, for hopefully most Mm -hmm. and thrived. Mm -hmm. And so I see I'm just so excited and empowered and passionate for you and for this whole conversation about new, new innovative ways of schooling and schools to pop up now Mm. because parents are sick of sick of hearing it I think I think we've heard if schools aren't changing they're not fast enough they're not so mm-hmm. you, you have to just start again and that's what you're doing so yeah.
2: and, and for me I think one of the the key elements of in building Woodline has to be about the staff and so mm-hmm. when we were really building this vision I was like we can't hold emotional safety for children if and we call our teachers guides they're not called teachers oh. they're called guides if our guides aren't emotionally aware and connected to who they are as well so (laughs) our training that we do with our guides that I I do training with them is all around what's your story where are your triggers how was your childhood (laughs) what (laughs) activates you where do you sit with feelings like one of my interview questions when we're interviewing guides was how do you feel about crying and then I would ask them all these questions around uh, you know I couldn't really ask them about their families like I wanted to but my consultant's like you can't ask them that like but I'm like I need to do some a therapy session with you to see where you sit. So birth, right. Because it was clear to me that we can't make this vision come to life unless the the team are so all over this emotional awareness are trauma informed have done their own work are able to hold such a safe container for these children they know how to set loving boundaries they also know how to use play for connection you know that they, they have these tools in their toolkit to be able to see a child and look behind the behavior and go okay there's something going on there not an old-school punitive way of like you're misbehaving you need to go and you know go to the principal or do this or do that so for me a key element is upskilling adults and this is not just in the education system this is Mm. parents everywhere you know I just think we are unfortunately a product of the way we were raised unless we reach a point where we say hey did that really serve me and how could it look different you know am I parenting in the way that is around connection is around honoring this child is around looking at my own stuff so I don't pass it on to my kid unconsciously so I think you know there needs to be a massive shift for the adults around how we are responding to children
0: And I would love to go there, Lael. Like I would love, let's go there. So this whole, connect, because I know that's one of your biggest passions. So connection in families, because I think, so I just know, I know how many, like I know all the mums that are going to be listening to this right now, like, oh, I want to send my kid desperately to that school, but I can't. But I want to be a better influence and I want to make a a bigger impact in my family right now. Mm. So how can they do that around this connection piece? Yes. So,
2: such a good question. I'm going to try and keep this short. <laughs> because, like, no, no about this forever. No. So, I always look at it. There's two pieces to it. The first piece is us, where we're sitting. So, I'll come to that in a minute. But the second piece is how we respond to our child. So, coming back to what I said earlier, kids are either in balance or out of balance. Now, we've grown up with this whole behaviorism paradigm that still is about good girl, good boy, mm-hmm. and if you are good, I will reward you with love, and if you're bad, I'm going to withdraw my love until you behave better. Like that's kind of the mainstream still behaviorism paradigm of how we discipline kids. And I'm doing that in inverted commas. Whereas I look at it from this angle is that a child's natural state is to want to feel connected to us. They want to do the right thing. They want to be kind to their little Mm -hmm. brother. They want to help out. They want to feel connected to us. But often what gets in the way are feelings. Often what gets in the way is past hurts, is where they might not get their needs met, where there's stuff going on. So I always say to parents like this, you know, your child walks in the room and you want to do this little scan of, them you want to go where are they are they in balance are they out of balance and you know when they're in balance because they're singing and they're you know they're patting the dog beautifully and they're saying to their sibling hey do you want to go play soccer and you know there's there's willingness and and if you say can you pick your shoes up they do it when your kid's out of balance it's when they walk past and kick the dog and when you ask them to take the rubbish out and they go why do I have to do everything and you know and there's resistance and what we want to come back to as a parent is what they're doing is they're waving a red flag and they're saying there's something going on for me. Now, because they are children, they are still learning and developing their emotional literacy skills to be able to express how they're feeling. And a lot of adults, what we do is we expect our seven-year-old to walk into the room and say, mum, I'm finding it very challenging having a younger brother at the moment and he takes my toys and I find that very, very hard to navigate and I've got a lot of feelings going on inside my body and so could you please help me work through them? That's what we expect a child should do and I really love to highlight most
0: adults don't do that, I was going right? to like, hang on a minute. I think we also want that from like husbands, wives, yes. brothers and they we don't even do that. We no. don't
2: even do that, right? We yeah. project all our crap onto each other because we, again, don't want to own how we're feeling. So when we look at children, we come back to it is when they're acting out, there's always a reason for their behaviour. And I say that a child's external state is a reflection of their internal state. So what's going on inside is usually what they're showing on the outside. So when your child is acting out, they're not doing it to be naughty. They're not doing it to be horrible or spiteful. They're saying, hey, there's something going on for you. Can you help me? And, you know, when we look at, I guess, a paradigm of parenting, on one end, we have authoritarian parenting, which is often about control and it's often about I'm the boss, I'm the leader, this is how you must do it. And we use punishments and rewards to get what we want. Um, often the child doesn't get to express how they feel. So, you know, if a child walks in and, you know, is, is mean to their little brother because they're, you know, the little brother's taken something, an authoritarian parent might yell at him, don't talk to your brother that way. You know, if, if you do that again, you'll have to go to your room, you know, or there's some form of I am going to make you feel bad so that you do better. But really how that lands in the child's body is I am bad. And Mm -hmm. often then we can come up with a whole story of shame. I'm not good enough. You know, I don't feel heard, understood, all that kind of stuff, right? So on one end, we've got that authoritarian parenting. On the other side, we have what we'd probably call permissive parenting, where there isn't necessarily any boundaries. When a child is out of balance, you know, the parent works really hard to try and make them feel better. So it's often about, oh, you know, how about we do this or we'll go to the shops and buy a new toy so you don't have to, you know, feel the feelings about having your little brother. And often, you know, it's all those kind of things which are around trying to make it okay. and I really want to flag here. That was totally me for many years. When I, I just pointed at myself.
0: I was like, as Lael's talking, I'm like, I think that will be me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and because often as the permissive parent, we don't want our kids to be upset. So we want to no. fix it all the time. Right. But where I see it with, I guess, this conscious connected aware parenting view is that it's okay for us to have feelings and it's okay Mm. for that seven-year-old to be upset about their younger brother. And from, I guess, a democratic parenting approach, how we would deal with that is that when they walk in and they do something mean to the brother, our first thing as a parent would be like, oh, they're having a hard time. The second thing is, what do they need now for me to help them come back into balance? So that might be a bit of connection. It might be walking up there and going, hey, buddy, I can see there's something going on. And you might be a little bit playful. You might invite them into some connection. And when that child, kind of feels that you've seen them and see what's going on, sometimes their guard will drop and they can move on. Their needs have been met. But sometimes it's about there's big feelings brewing there. There's something happening. And what they need is a beautiful container to let those feelings out. So that might look like going up to your seven-year-old and go, hey, buddy, I saw that you just kind of, you know, hit your younger brother. You know, I'm not willing to let you hit him. And then, you know, he might go into, well, he's, you know, I hate him and he does this and he does that. And again, it's not making him wrong. I can hear you got some feelings around that, mate. Let it out. Yeah, it's really hard having a little brother. Go for it. And we hold a safe space for him to vent how he feels. And what we see and we know about feelings and emotions is that if we give them permission to be felt, we feel them and then we let them go. But if we don't feel them and we don't express them, we have to do something with them. And most of the time, what we do as humans is we learn to repress them. So we shut them down, we push them down harder, and then we develop mechanisms to keep those feelings at bay. And that's why sometimes we want to eat lots of chocolate and drink lots of wine or work constantly so we don't have to think or we numb out on social media all the time. We all do it. We all have these things that we do to not feel. And so I think what we look at is on a bigger picture here, what we're trying to do is we're trying to teach our children that I see and love and hear all of you, not just the parts that are good, but, you know, all of you is welcome, the angry parts, the sad parts, the happy parts, the joyous parts. Because for most of us growing up, and I know this is true because I have worked with so many parents, when we go back into our own childhoods, into places where we didn't get our needs met, most of the story comes back to the fact that we got love when we were good And when we weren't good or perceived to be good or we had expressed ourselves in ways that weren't okay, then love was withdrawn. So we begin to learn a lesson that says, I am only lovable if I'm good. And then we move through life going, I need to be liked. I need to do stuff, you know, so that people are happy all the time. And what we do with that is we basically abandon the kind of inner truth of who we are. Mm -hmm. We abandon, you know, our natural, you know, sense of um, connection to ourselves, our creativity, our passion, our purpose, because the greater need is to be attached, is to be safe. Mm. And so therefore it becomes highlighted that it is so much about, I'm sorry if you can hear my dog. <laughs> the, I'm like, the baby,
0: the buggy. <laughs> sorry. I love it. You know yeah. that I love it. Yeah, okay, yeah. Keeping it, keeping it real. Yeah.
2: Um so, but basically, really that is then what becomes the imprint. And and I think when we're looking at raising our kids consciously. What we're wanting to do is saying, hey, I see all of you because we are all made up of all these emotions and feelings and none of them are bad and none of them are good. They just are. And when we start to give our children permission to express themselves in a safe way, then they learn this beautiful emotional intelligence that says when I feel vulnerable, when I feel angry, when I feel sad, mum or dad is still there for me. Yeah. And they accept and see all of me. And then this is the key piece of this. If we can meet those feelings as an adult with empathy and compassion, not only are we modelling what empathy and compassion look like, but they are getting a body sense feeling of what it feels like to be truly seen and heard, which then allows them to do that and take that out into the world. And I have I have a little story that I often tell because for me, you know, when I started doing this parenting you know, I really kind of worked with her. I'm going to really hold space for my kids to express their feelings and emotions. And there was a lot of feelings and emotions. And my husband would look at me and go, is this right? Is this going to work? And I'm like, yes, I just, I feel it. You know, this is how I would have wanted to have been met when I was a kid. Mm. And I think the game changer for me was once when, My youngest was about five or six, and um, I was about. It was an evening. I was trying to make dinner. I had to go and teach a class, and so I was doing that kind of hustle of trying to meet everyone's needs. And she walks into the kitchen. She's really agitated, and I can see that she needs a bit of a meltdown, a release. And I kind of looked at her, and I was went, "Darling, I can see you've got some feelings. Do you think you could hold on to them for a few hours?" (laughs) Like that's what I said to her, and she looks at me like, "Are you freaking crazy?" (laughs) Like, you know, I'm five. Yeah, 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 right. Right, And then the next minute, my older daughter, who was 10 at the time, walked in and she said, I'll listen to your feelings, Tali. And I was just like, oh, wow, what's going to happen here? So the 10-year-old takes the five-year-old into the room, six-year-old, she was five or six, takes her into the bedroom. And I'm like, I've got to see what happens here. So I'm standing outside the door listening. And what I'm hearing is this, is my 10-year-old, she's like, tell me all about it. And so then the five-year-old starts crying and she said, a kinder today, this happened and that happened. And and she just starts having this massive release. And I hear my 10-year-old go, yes, let it out. You're doing a good job. And what else, right? And so she has this big release and the 10-year-old's just holding it beautifully. And then they start giggling and they start laughing. And so all the big feelings have moved and then they come out of the room and my five-year-old's back to looking bright-eyed and imbalanced and feeling relaxed and I look at my 10-year-old and I was like, how was that for you, darling? And she just says to me, well, I just did to her what you do for me. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, that is it, right? This is this is it. How can our children can't be what we don't show them to be? So yes. we expect our children to have empathy and resilience and compassion. But if we are not responding to them in that way, then how do they learn that in their selves and in their being? So for me, you know, when we're looking at how do we raise our children with conscious awareness firstly is about modeling it to them it is about deeply accepting their feelings and emotions in a safe way and I know for some people this is a massive stretch right because we've grown up in such a behaviorism paradigm and so I would encourage people if it ignites you and you want to know more go have a look at some of my stuff because it you know explains it in a bit more depth and it doesn't mean we don't have boundaries and it doesn't mean that kids lose their you know crap every time you go everywhere like there's lots of things I know people go but what about discipline and I'm like yes we have boundaries and elements within it. He's not about a free for all for children. Lay
0: <laughs> like, like, where, like obviously, we're gonna put all your links, but where. Because I just you know people are like, ah, yeah, uh, yeah, I want more, no, no, no more.
2: yeah, yeah. Um, well, you can you can find there's I've got lots of articles on my website, which is layelstone.com.au. Lots of videos that talk Perfect. about it. We have a podcast called the Aware Parenting Podcast, um, which we talk about all things from biting and hitting to sibling stuff to um, how we help our children navigate trauma to um, just everything parenting, like Phenomenal. all the that you want to do about parenting. So you can go there and, and check it out and, and listen. Um, I do that with my my lovely col- uh, colleague, Marion Rose, and she's got heaps of free info as well. So there's lots and lots of stuff you can find information about. So for me, I think firstly it's about these beautiful tools that we start integrating into how we respond to our children. But then the second part is looking at our own stories. And this is the part where most people go, "Oh, I don't know about this <laughs> because... Mm-hmm. Most of the time we don't want to look at our stuff because it's painful.
0: Well, Lail, as you're talking, I'm thinking I'm sitting here just, I mean, not in like an idiot um, but also and hand on heart half the time, but I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, this isn't just about kids, right? I'm like how many, I mean, adults, all, all people, but I'm, oh, I'm so passionate about women. So I'm just sitting here thinking, gosh, how many women just want to be held in a safe container to be seen and held and heard and say not judged, just just listened to, and just allowed to let their feelings? And I'm and then I start thinking, gosh, it must be hard for some women who are sitting here struggling in the depths of 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 despair with some parenting right now I'm thinking about the spectrum of you know their imbalance versus out of balance themselves right say and how they're like you don't understand Anna and Leo. like I want to be that parent but fuck I never had it that wasn't modeled to me like what about me like who's gonna hear and hold me so I was like is parenting formed from our own trauma and I imagine it is and if yes how can we begin to heal that to be that space and container and safety for our kids? Yes, yes.
2: So now I'm stupidly nodding at you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, just, yes. it's
0: reciprocal. Brilliant. Uh, yes,
2: yes. Well, this is exactly it, right? So part of the work of how we respond to kids is also about doing our own work. So, Mm -hmm. you know, through working with so many parents, we all come back to the same hurt and trauma no matter what stories pop up for us and whether that's we have an altercation with someone at work, whether it's our children who are pushing our buttons, whether it's our partner, whether it's a whole lot of self-doubt that we feel because somebody said something to us, whatever it is, we stem it back to, well, what does this remind me of? Where is this from? And and Mm. most of our imprints and stories, they sit deeply in the way we were raised. And I really want to emphasize this. Our parents were doing the best job they knew how. You know, it could be so easy to move into this. Well, my mum never gave me this. My dad never gave me that. But your parents were probably doing better than what their parents did. Exactly. I believe each generation we get way more conscious and I think the key is not about blame for our parents it's about what we perceived to happen to us when we were younger what is the imprint in the story that I run around that you know so if you were shut down with your feelings when you were little you know if you have a memory of being four and getting really upset and one of your parents going don't be stupid you don't you know you don't need to cry about that it's just a toy you know get Mm -hmm. over it you know and in that moment we just went oh my god it's not safe to express myself do we keep that story is that story still running in your world do you keep Mm -hmm. looking? for evidence that that's still true when you try and express yourself to someone make fun of you or laugh or not hear you in the same way and we keep repeating the same pattern again and again and again that it's not safe for me to express how I feel so so much of how we are in the world is is a reflection of what happened to us as kids like I often say we are all children walking around in adults bodies bouncing off each other depending on the trauma we have Right, 100 yeah and so that's why even in our intimate relationships with our partners They can do something. And it can set us right off. We can become deeply vulnerable and emotional. We can get angry because, you know, what often plays out is our parents in our intimate relationships. You know, you might have a response. You know, one parent might play out the authoritarian father and when they say something and we perceive it a certain way, we go back being the wounded child or I see a lot for men actually, you know, if they grew up in environments where they felt, you know, were told they were not good enough or that's not good enough or they felt like they could never get their mother or father's approval often in relationship, if their partner says, oh, maybe you could do it this way or they deem to be criticised by them, they will go straight back into that little boy of not being good enough and then they put mm. their defences up and they get angry. I mean, it's like I often just sit there and go, it's a miracle that we actually
0: all love each other
2: <laughs> because well, we yeah. bounce off each other in our stuff, right? And, and I guess to, to simplify it a little bit, you know, that's the, the basis of it is that, You know, I say to anybody, the first step is being willing to do the work and the place to start is where do you get triggered, right? Where Mm. do you get activated? Where is it? Is it something your child does, your partner does? And the first step is to go, well, what am I feeling here? What does this feel like? What does it remind me of? You know, do I know this feeling from another time in my life? And that for me is an invitation to lean into that and go, well, what happened there? And what need didn't get met? You know, what did I wish I could have say, uh, said at that point where I never got it? You know, what is it that that I needed that didn't shift for me? And look, I, I always tell lots of stories about my kids, but my kids give me permission to tell the stories I tell. There's some that they're like, do not use this. In the I love that. I love But that. I remember one time when my daughter, my middle daughter was like 13 or 14, and she's a deeply feeling, beautiful young woman. And um, she's nearly 18 now. And, you know, in know, 13 and 14 year old angst, She was in this like, you know, Big feelings around friends and school, and just like really, really stuck in her story. And I'm sitting on the edge of her bed and I'm listening and I'm compassionate. And I'm listening and listening. And after about half an hour, I am watching myself get more and more triggered and really angry and feeling really pissed off. And what I'm wanting to yell at her is like, just move somewhere, like, just get over, like, it's no big deal. So I'm watching myself just move into these feelings. And I know enough to go, oh, there's something going on for me here. So I actually just said, sweetheart, I can see you've still got stuff going on. There's there's something happening for me, I am just going to step out for a few minutes, I'll come back. And one of the great practices that we really talk about often in, in this style of parenting is having what we call a listening partner, which is just mm. another person who's safe that you can send a you know voice message to, or you can call and say, hey, can you listen to me for 10 minutes? And their job is not to offer you advice and their job is not to fix you. Their job is to sit there with an open heart and offer empathy and say, yeah, I hear you, that sounds mm. hard. So I rang my listening partner and I was like, I'm super triggered with Indy at the moment. This is this is what she's doing. And da, 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 my friend's listening, my friend's listening. And she's like, well, what's that feel like for you? And the words that come out of my mouth are, doesn't she know how lucky she is to have a mum who's sitting on her bed listening to her feelings? I wish my mum had have done that. And then I just burst into tears. Oh. And my friend's like, ah, oh, there it is. <laughs> so yeah. I have a really big cry. And I'm just like, oh, like little 12 year old Lael didn't have that experience. And there's hurt there for her that I perhaps wasn't hurting the way I needed. And so I had a big cry. My listening partner's on the phone and she's like, oh, you're doing a good job, Lael, and let it Aww. out. And then as soon as I finished with those big feelings, I felt this massive shift. And then I went back into the room and I could meet her. And I was like, keep going, babes. And all of a sudden she just was like, nah, it feels better now, Mom. I think I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then I just sat there going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> she just moved it when I moved it. And I think this is the invitation I say to parents all the time. Our kids are constantly bringing up beautiful reflections for us our children are our teachers so yes. the places that that really push your buttons are the pieces you need to lean into because it's not necessarily about the child needing to change it's about a gift they give us to look at our own crap and often when at, when we clear some of our story our child's behavior just changes mm. So always when parents say to me, can I bring my four-year-old to see you because they've got this, this and this, I actually don't work with children. I only work with the parents. And I say, well, let's look at your story. And then often when the parents get their story around it, they might go home with some tools for the child, but the child's behavior changes because
0: wow. the child's
2: like, oh, well done, mum and dad, you've moved that piece. That's not something else I need to carry. As I move forward, because our kids don't want to carry our baggage. They're like, hey, that's yours. You need to shift it and clear it so I'm free to be who I need to be. So there's this beautiful interplay that happens where they just bring our stories to the surface. And, you know, most of the world looks at it like it's a child that's bad or they don't do the right thing when really it's an invitation for us to look at us and go, where am I
0: in this story here and where do I need to shift with what's going on? Oh so big, so beautiful. And I I just want to say, because I know I obviously speak to so many women, thousands, thousands and tens of thousands of, of women yearly, be it in an inbox or a call or Zooms or from stage. And we've all got some level of trauma, all adults at, at some level, something's happened as to us as children. Let's just go right there as children. And it was really last year that I actually, so just honouring if you're listening and you know something has even come up for you that it's like, but you don't understand because this is how bad it was, we do, <laughs> and just honoring you. But last year, I had a real moment and I said to Morgan because i i grew up in a very traumatic childhood lots and lots and lots of abuse across uh, ev- you know every spectrum and uh, and i've healed it and i've had to heal it and it's been this the and i'm so grateful i wouldn't change a second of my childhood now not one second but I said to Morgan last year, I said, you know, I've I've really come to understand as a woman who has healed her shit and will continue to, I mean, wait until I have children. <laughs> the triggers. <laughs> Can't wait. Bring it on. One child. I'll be a one and done, I think, if I do it. Um, but I said to Morgan last year, you know, I just don't think it's acceptable anymore as adults to like, yes, traumatic stuff happened as a child. And it sucks. And I'm, you know, and for my own self telling my own little girl, sorry, like, and I'm sorry, little Anna, but you know what? You're an adult now and you get to take responsibility for that and heal it. You don't get to lean on that story anymore. Mm -hmm. And I had this real, and I mean, it shifted for me. you know, it was a lot of family stuff and there's lots of blame and it's still in the family. And I'm like, no, you know what? Like, so even for my siblings and stuff, I'm like, no, you know, I know what happened to us as kids. I know that there was a lot of trauma and all these things, but we're adults now, you know, and, and we get to choose, we get to take 100% empowered responsibility to heal ourselves and be part of this world that, each sovereign individual takes that responsibility to heal their own self, which I do genuinely believe heals the home and a healed home is a healed community. And, and then it, it ripples effect out. But so I just want to offer that to listeners mm. that we're talking about trauma and, and all these things, but, and if you're like still holding on to that story, that it's like, no, but you don't understand because no, you don't understand. It's like, we get to be these empowered amazing adults who mm. who don't have to lean on that childhood trauma anymore and can become these empowered sovereign free individuals that just heal our shit and make an impact i love i
2: love that and i really um i love that message and i so honour the courage it takes to do that. And I think that's the piece where I see the stumbling block is it's very courageous to own our story and say, actually, I'm going to do it differently because on some level our trauma serves us. You know, we get to stay small. We don't have to step into who we are because we have the story that happened to us and that is a huge leap for a lot of people to have the courage to look at it, to heal it. And, you know, for me, I think we need support to do it. You know, we need therapy and counselors, you know, like I have a course that I run an eight week course that basically looks at imprints from our childhood Mm -hmm. and it's mostly parents that do it, but it helps you look at what happened to you as a kid. And then how does that play out in your parenting and in your relationship? We look at things like trust, you know, tears and anger. We look at self-care. We look at Mm -hmm. boundaries. We look at all these key things that particularly turn up for mothers around, well, what was the imprints that was set for me? What did I watch my mother do? What did I make that mean? And then how do I play that in my life? And what I see in that is the most massive shifts happen would be so much like with the work that you do is that when people begin to own their story and see the stories that have run them and they don't have to do that anymore, there's a choice to do it differently. Then the whole dynamic in the family changes and there starts to become harmony and there's no longer yelling and there's tools that they have in their toolkit to take care of them so they can be the parent they want to be. I mean, I have learned really early on when I started doing all this work, particularly around listening to my kids' feelings and holding space for them, I learned pretty early that I cannot do that unless I take care of myself and taking care of myself is, is quiet. I need quiet time. I think also doing all the work I do a lot of speaking and counseling and that requires a huge energy. So I have like at least two days a week where I don't talk to anyone where I'm really quiet and still I I look after my body with lots of different alternative things because I'm like, I can't turn up and be the spacious mum my kids want me to be Mm. if all my stuff is in the way or if I'm stressed. So you know, I was committed to keep working through my story with my listening partner. Or when things still pop up, like stuff always pops up, right? It because will never human. stop, right? Yeah, exactly. and you want to lean into it and go, "Oh, yep, there's another invitation. What's this about? How do I work through that?" So that in all those moments, the more work we keep doing, what I I often see is the more spaciousness we create for our children, which means they go, "Ah, mom or dad can hold this," and that's when they bring us the stuff. And this is so important if we can do this with our children a little, because it sets such a foundation for them that when they are teenagers what they know is that you are the safe place to come they know that nothing's too big to bring you and that's what we want
0: and can I just say as a child like I I say this to everyone because I was a I was like the wild child like straight A student I mum just didn't I think know what to do with me because I was like a rat bag because I hated myself but I was a straight A student that was like my rebellion being really smart (laughs) but being really rat bag um but because that wasn't this our house was not the safe space in any way shape or form on any level it was with my mom mm. but not my stepdad so you you went everywhere else you yes. went to, to everyone else which was never a good thing you went to other people's parents you went to other people's houses where they didn't have boundaries so mm. I always say this to every parent no matter what no matter how hard it is for you to be that safe space for your child make damn sure that you are because they're going and getting it elsewhere mm. and it might not be it's not safe. It's typically not safe and it's not smart. So I love that. I love that. And answer.
2: it's it's true, particularly in adolescence. We look for our tribe. We have to move away on some level to figure out who we are. And so we go, well, who are the safe places to mm-hmm. go to? And if home or there's adults that aren't that, exactly what you're saying, they're going to go find a tribe who's got their back. And so for me, particularly in raising teenagers and young adults, you know, we were always a house where people, teens come, you know, we are a really safe house. And so we often have lots of kids here and they talk about all sorts of stuff to us, which is beautiful, which is, you know, again, they often say, well, I can't talk to my parents about these. So, you know, there's a beautiful container we've created with them. But my goal, particularly in raising teens was like, we want to know no matter what goes on, we are the place for you to come. Now, Children will feel that if we don't necessarily use punishments, you know, if we don't move into you've done the wrong thing, I'm going to ground you because then they just get better at lying. They get better at hiding their behaviour. That was me. me. You know, like my my teens have done stupid stuff because they all do. It's what they're meant to do. And we say that to them. You're meant to make mistakes and stuff up and go for it. And they love it when they do something wrong. They go, you told me to do it. Yeah, yeah. But you told me, mom. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, there's a prefrontal cortex that still needs to grow. So, you know, anyway, but there's all these elements And, you know, I have found this too. Like even one time when my son was like 14 or 15 and he lied about where he was um, and then we kind of busted him and then we're like, hey, mate, come home. And it was one of those moments where my husband and I looked at each other and we go, how do we do this consciously, right? Because the old school way would be you've lied to us, you disappointment, you know, we're going to ground you. And so instead I actually went in there and said, okay, buddy, uh, I feel like I've let you down. And he's like, what? And I said, somehow I haven't made it safe enough for you to tell us the truth. So what do I need to do here? Because you know we really value that transparency. Our value here is about keeping you safe, right? We just want to know where you are. That's one of our big things. Like you know, most of the time we'll say yes to where you want to go. We just want to know where you are. And he lied about where he was. And then he said, "Well, they are at a girl's house, right?" He and his mate. And he's like, "Mom, you get so like over the top about when we see girls. I just don't want to tell you about it." And I was like, "Ah." got it okay that's on me like and I think in my Mm. I want to make everything open and really safe you know in this whole you know safe um, environment with relationships I was too much and I just I totally get it I'm going to pull back on that Um, you know I really just want to know where you are and you know you please go and explore whatever you need to with girls whatever that looks like but that was an incredible opportunity instead of coming into this power over punishment you've done wrong to go all right how do we both get our needs met here and what are we doing that's not allowing it for you to feel safe enough to tell us where where things are at? And that was the last time he lied to us because then he just went, yeah, okay, cool. This is where I am. That's what I'm doing. And he's done heaps of stupid stuff and he'll ring us up and go, oh, can you come get me all oh, this has happened? And we're like, yep. And he knows without a doubt we have his back, right? And that we are always going to be there because we deeply love and accept him. And what I've found is he's this beautiful, you know, nearly 21-year-old man now that he he's a ability to share where he's at, his emotional awareness, like even through the beginning of COVID, um, you know, he lost his job and he came home and he walked in the door and he's like, where's dad? And he came to the lounge and he just burst into tears. And he said, I feel disappointed from my work and my boss. And I don't know what I'm going to do now. And he just sat there, like he's six foot one, he's massive. And he just cried and we both cuddled him. And then, you know, we didn't even say anything. We just held a space for him. And then he kind of, at the end went, oh, I feel so much better and then he just found a solution himself he's like you know what i think i could do this and then i could do that and then i could do this and all of a sudden he just shared where he was at and then was able to find solutions to himself and you know in there's those moments where i go this is what it's about in in making a safe house where you can cry freely where you can mess up and know that you'll still be loved and and held and because of that there's deep mutual respect
0: yeah. so you know
2: i the you know when we got our um our school when it we finally got our authentication to open the school, you know, this huge permit that takes ages to get. And we got it, you know, a few weeks ago. And, and when I got the message, okay, we're approved. Like I literally just sobbed for about two hours. Oh God, I think it yeah. was three years of building and holding and all the pressure and I just cried and cried and cried. And my kids were there and they were cuddling me. It was really beautiful. And then um, the next day my son came home with these flowers and he walks in the door and he gives them to me and he's like, I'm so proud of you, mum. And I'm just like, okay, more tears. And I was just like, okay, this is this is what it is. when you yeah. When you do the work of really turning up or holding for your kids, then that becomes their default to be those empathetic humans. And that, if we come full circle back to your first question, is how we're going to change this world. Because if we can meet our children that way, parenting, if schooling can meet them in that way, then they are humans that are going to care deeply about others. They're not going to rip people off. They're not going to want to power over them. They're going to want to take care of the earth. They're going to want to take care of animals. They're going to to want to take care of each other because they know that that's what feels better in their being. You know, They're not so shut off and disconnected that they move into all those other things.
0: Oh, Lael, you to me just are this stunning pillar of possibility of what a wholly healed adult Mm. can achieve with parenting, with business, with love, with relationships. So I just want to honour you. Thank you so very much. I have literally sat here the whole podcast, holding back tears. You just have this real way of penetrating emotions in a really thoughtful, beautiful way. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming on. Mm-hmm. We're definitely going to have you back on. I'd love to mm-hmm. talk. I know this will be one that everyone pl- plays often. Um, but like I said, if you've listened, if you've cried in the car, like I probably will get off this end um, and you just want more of Lael, then all of the links, so they will be hyperlinked in the podcast notes of this episode so go back uh, and just yeah get excited because we'll have her on more but thank you so much you are so incredible and I cannot wait to watch you launch this school and just make such a phenomenal impact on this world and the kids
2: oh thank you I feel so humbled you know I just I, I feel it takes work you know and, and oh. I know you know that because I follow you and I see all the amazing hard things that you do and I think it is hard and it can be painful, but it's so worth it, you know. And so um, I feel very blessed that I've been supported enough in my world to do this work to then take it to others. and And thank you for for giving you know me this time to be able to just share that. And and you know, also again, the work we do is really similar. You know, you do it perhaps in business for women, and for me, I just feel like I do it for families because I I see the difference it makes, and I think the world needs it. And you Absolutely. know, I will always be here being a champion of connection and speaking for the kids. So thank you for, for giving me this, um, this beautiful opportunity to share.
0: My pleasure. All right, guys, until next time, have a beautiful week. Bye.
1: Thanks so much for listening. And as always, we both hope you got something out of it that you can use to challenge your own status quo.
0: And if you liked what you heard, it would mean so much to us if you shared this episode on your socials to help us get our podcast out in the world. Don't forget to tag us as well so we can thank you personally.
1: And if you're loving the conversations, leaving a review on iTunes simply by going to the podcast, scrolling down and clicking leave review will help even more people find us too and we would be so grateful.
0: And until the next episode, we will always be cheering on your success.